إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوم ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الذي خلق السماوات والأرض وجعل الظلمات والنور ثم الذين كفروا بربهم يعدلون هو الذي خلقكم من طين ثم قضى أجلا وأجل مسمى عنده ثم أنتم تمترون وهو الله في السماوات وفي الأرض يعلم سركم وجهركم ويعلم ما تكسبون وما تأتيهم من آية من آيات ربهم إلا كانوا عنها معرضين فقد كذبوا بالحق لما جاءهم فسوف يأتيهم أنباء ما كانوا به يستهزئون ألم يروا كم أهلكنا من قبلهم من قرن مكناهم في الأرض ما لم نمكن لكم وأرسلنا السماء عليهم مدرارا وجعلنا الأنهار تجري من تحتهم فأهلكناهم بذنوبهم وأنشأنا من بعدهم قرنا آخرين ولو نزلنا عليك كتابا في قرطاس فلمسوه بأيديهم لقال الذين كفروا لقال الذين كفروا إن هذا إلا سحر مبين وقالوا لولا أنزل عليه ملك ولو أنزلنا ملكا لقضي الأمر ثم لا ينظرون ولو جعلناه ملكا لجعلناه رجلا وللبسنا عليهم ما يلبسون ولقد استهزئ برسل من قبلك فحاق بالذين سخروا منهم ما كانوا به يستهزئون قل سيروا في الأرض ثم كيف كان عاقبة المكذبين 
وهو الذي جعلكم خلائف الأرض ورفع بعضكم فوق بعض درجات ليبلوكم فيما آتاكم إن ربك سريع العقاب وإنه لغفور رحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته All praises due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who revealed the Quran to be our guide and our life's program and who sent to us his chosen servant and messenger from the progeny of Abraham and who perfected for us and gifted with his chosen religion of Islam. It is to him we shall return and be questioned on that final day, the day of our exam. Alhamdulillah, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have now reached Surat Al-An'am and the goal of our series, remember, is to summarize the essential message, the takeaway points. This is a very cursory, a very bird's eye view of the entire surah. And the goal, once again, is so that you listen to this lecture and then you read the entire surah on your own in Arabic and also in the uh, translation. And before I uh, dive in, just two quick reminders uh, that first and foremost, please tweet any gems that you have on Twitter uh, with the hashtag YQGems. We're having a great time on Twitter. Uh, we're already forming an online community so join with the program and uh, join us inshallah ta'ala on twitter also on this friday at 10 o'clock i encourage all of you to join uh, instead of our program we're going to delay our program we'll still have our tafsir but inshallah at 10 o'clock uh, we're having our annual fundraiser a virtual fundraiser for our masjid uh, because all of our masjid uh, they still need to be financed we still have to pay the bills there's still staff over here alhamdulillah we have all of these are volunteers that are working actually uh, but there are uh, as you know uh, equipment costs and other costs that have to be paid. So inshallah, please log on uh, 10 o'clock, usual time, usual place uh, on Friday. And our tafsir will still take place inshallah, but it'll be after the uh, fundraiser. With that inshallah, let us begin. Surat Al-An'am. An'am translates as domesticated animals or cattle. And the reason why uh, Surat Al-An'am is called this is because there are long lists of cattle that are prohibited and allowed. Hence the name Surat Al-An'am. And Surat Al-An'am is our first Makki Surah. This is the first Surah we're going to do with uh, Al-Imran and Baqarah and Nisa, Ma'idah. All of them were revealed in Medina. Surat Al-An'am was revealed in Mecca, in mid to late Mecca. And so now for our first time, we're going to get an exposure to the Meccan style or the Meccan revelations because they are very different than the Madani revelations in content and in style, in wording and in syntax. And Surat Al-An'am is therefore going to be our first first exposure to Meccan surahs. It's around 165 verses, around a Jews and something. And uh, Surat Al-An'am, Umar ibn al-Khattab remarked that Surat Al-An'am is one of the glories of the Quran. Surat Al-An'am is one of the glories of the uh, Quran meaning it is a very beautiful uh, surah. And the goal of this surah is the goal of all Meccan surahs. But Surah Al-An'am is a very perfect example. One can summarize the goals of Surah Al-An'am in the three primary pillars of our theology. Number one, that Allah alone is our Rabb and therefore should be worshipped. Number two, that our Prophet ﷺ is indeed a Prophet from Allah who has been given a revelation. Number three, that there will be a judgment day and a resurrection and a hisab. So, Tawheed, Risala, Akhirah. Our entire religion of Islam 
goes and, and revolves around these three pillars of theology. Belief in one God, belief in the continuity of prophets who come with a message to follow, and belief in a resurrection and an afterlife. This is the essential summary of our entire religion, and in fact the religion of all of the prophets of Allah. And this surah, it it mentions these three points in many different ways. And entire surah revolves around each one of these points, one after the other. And this surah, when you read it, it really cheers you up, to be honest, to be a Muslim. You thank Allah, you feel grateful that you are a Muslim. And uh, on a personal note, the surah, Surah Al-An'am, you know, all of us who have memorized the Quran, we have our favorite surahs. We have surahs that we are in particularly, we just uh, like. And in, in, uh, in it, from my personal case, uh, Surah Al-An'am, is the surah that uh, I turn to when I'm feeling a little bit down, when life's thrown me some, you know, some curveballs, you just want to uh, get cheered up. Uh, I listen to or I recite Surah Al-An'am. It's a very, very powerful surah. The Arabic is so beautiful. Of course, the entire Quran is beautiful, but Surah Al-An'am for me, it has a, a special uh, place. And that's even uh, Umar ibn Khattab said, it is one of the beauties of the Quran. And I strongly encourage you to listen to Surah Al-An'am from any famous qari that you like. My personal favorite when it comes to Surah An'am, by the way, is Sheikh Abdul Hadi Kanakiri. You will find him on YouTube. Sheikh Abdul Hadi Kanakiri has Surah Al-An'am. It is my all-time favorite when it comes to Surah Al-An'am, and I encourage you to uh, listen to that. So the Surah, as I said, revolves around these three pillars, and there are also some other minor motifs of them is that it challenges the paganism of those who rejected Allah and worshiped false gods. It, it takes on their internal inconsistencies. Also, it talks about their psychological stubbornness to refuse to accept the truth. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keeps on saying that when somebody is so arrogant, when somebody has decided that they're not going to believe, no matter what you do, they're not going to believe. And we'll give you some examples for this. So let us now dive into these three uh, overall pillars. And the first verse sets the entire tone. Generally speaking, the first verse of a surah really sets the tone of the entire surah. The first verse, all praise be to Allah who created the heavens and the earth and who made darkness and light. And yet still, those who disbelieve, they ascribe others to Allah. So this verse, look at the creation around you. Thank Allah for that. Rather than acknowledging the miracles around you, you are ungrateful. And rather than appreciating and then worshiping Allah, you do the worst of all things. And that is that you direct your worship to other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Throughout this entire surah, Allah reminds mankind and the Quraysh in particular of so many blessings that they have. In verse number six, Allah says, look at the histories of those before you. In verse number 13, Allah says, to him belongs every creature that rests in the day or the night. In verse 18, He is the supreme over his entire creation. In verse 59, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala demonstrates how perfect is his knowledge. And this is one of the most famous verses in the whole Quran. To him belong the keys of the unseen. Look at the eloquence. The keys of the unseen. What is beyond that is even more the keys that unlock the doors of the unseen none knows except him he knows that which is in the land and that which is in the ocean not a leaf falls except that he knows it there is not a single grain in the darknesses of the earth nor is there anything that is wet or dry except that Allah has written it down in other words not uh, the fact that Allah says wet or dry is that 
even the characteristics of existence are known to Allah. Not just that there is something, but how it is, its temperature, its every minute detail. And not only does Allah know it, but rather Allah has written it down in the preserved tablet. In verse number 60, and what an eloquent verse here. He is the one who causes you to go to sleep and who knows what you do during the day. Look how this verse combines between the power and the knowledge of Allah. You go, you lie down at night. How do you go to sleep? Who causes you? Who blesses you with that sleep? He causes you, to, he blesses you to rest at night. And then during the day, he is well aware of all that you do. In verse 95, Allah is the one who splits open the grain and the seeds. You plant it, yes, you pour water on it. Where does that power come from? Who created the laws of nature that we, now in the modern world, we like to talk about science does this and science decrees that and from science we learn. What is science? It is the laws that Allah instituted. Where do these laws come from? What caused this earth and this seed to sprout forth? Allah says, Allah is the one who created that seed to then burst forth and then the root will sprout out and the plant will uh, sprout out. In verse 96, Allah talks about the miracles of the creation, the harmony of the night and day. In verse 97, the beauty of the stars, the constellation. And then in verse 1 or 2, This is Allah your Lord. All of this that you see around you is given to you by Allah your Lord. La ilaha illahu. There is no one you should worship besides Him. He is the creator of everything. Fa'buduhu. Worship Him alone, for He is indeed capable of all things. In all of these verses, Allah links together two facts or two realities that should intrinsically be linked, but most people don't link them, and especially the Quraysh. The first is to acknowledge there's a higher power, and Allah says that's self-evident. Look around you, you all admit that there is a God. And the second, once you've acknowledged there's a higher power, then you should worship that being, rather than worshiping false gods. So Allah Azza wa keeps on underscoring this method in Surah Al-An'am, and in fact in all of the Meccan Surahs. Another uh, tactic that is used in Surah Al-An'am is the tactic of appealing to the human nature of reaching out to Allah when you are in trouble. And you know, subhanAllah, this is so common even to this day. When people are sick, when people are dying, you know, there's videos that go around when, you know, when an accident's about to happen or the, the planes are shaking, whatnot, and all of a sudden, oh God, help us, oh God, help me. You know, everybody remembers God at times of distress. And Allah Azza wa Jal mentions this in the Quran, in a multiple verses, Surah Al-An'am, verse 46, verse 47, verse 63. Who else do you call to when you're in trouble? Who else do you call to when the punishment comes down? Who else do you turn to when your ships are about to drown or they're about to falter? Your nature calls out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then in verse 64, it is Allah who responds to you when you need Him then and whenever you need Him. And yet still you worship others besides Him. By the way, this verse also is a optimistic sign for all of us. Allah is speaking to the pagans of the Quraysh. And Allah is saying, when you call out to me sincerely, I do answer you. Even those who worship other than Allah, when they are sincere to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to their dua. 
du'as. Allah even answered the du'a of Iblis, Shaitan, when Iblis made du'a to him. So how can we lose hope of being answered by Allah when we believe in him? How can we not have that optimism when Allah is telling the Quraysh, look, I answer you, whatever you reach out to me, you, you called out to me sincerely, I am the one who answers you, then why do you worship others besides me? So Allah answers the entire creation, whoever turns to him. Therefore, we should never feel shy of turning to Allah. And Allah never criticizes in the whole Quran, becoming religious at times of distress. Allah never criticizes thinking of Allah when you're about to drown, when your son is sick, when you're in a trouble or, or problem. Allah criticizes neglecting him after that. Allah criticizes, look, when you were sick, when you're on the hospital bed, all of a sudden Allah comes and Allah make help me and I promise this and do that. And that's fine, no problem. The fact that you call out to Allah at times of distress, it shows that you believe in Allah. Allah praises that. What Allah criticizes is, once your uh, uh, relief comes, once I give you what you want, then you neglect, then you reject, then you turn to other than uh, Allah. And this is especially pertinent to the Quraysh, because the Quraysh, as this surah and other surahs tell us, they would actually call out to Allah when the going got tough, when they're trapped, when they have no alternative, they would not call out to their false gods. They would call out only to Allah. And that is what Allah is saying. From your own experiences you have learned that making dua to me, miracles can happen. Then why then do you make dua to others besides uh, me? So this is the theme of uh, the oneness of Allah and linking Allah's creation and Allah's power with the fact that we should worship Allah. All the signs around us shout out to us the existence of Allah. We don't need complicated philosophical proofs to prove the existence of Allah. Everything around us, we ourselves are a proof of Allah. As Ibn Taymiyyah said, how do you want me to go find proofs for Allah's existence when everything around us and even us is a proof of Allah's existence? You don't need to find anything. So the Quran, Surah Al-An'am is telling us over and over again, look around you and then when you see the beauty of Allah's creation, worship Allah alone. The other motif that we said is the prophethood and the Quran. So Tawheed, Risala, Akhirah, right? So Risala. And Risala, it is comprised of two things. Number one, that there are human beings that Allah has chosen and sent to guide the rest of mankind. And number two, that these human beings get a book from Allah. And that book is meant to be our reference point. And again, Surah Al-An'am is full of so many verses about Risala, about the fact that the Prophet is a prophet and that he has been given a book from Allah. And in fact, in verse 91, Allah links Risala with Tawheed. Allah links Risala with Tawheed. وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ they did not value Allah. They did not do justice to the maqam of Allah when they said Allah did not send any human being with books. Allah did not send down a revelation. In other words, when a person denies prophecy, he is denying the wisdom and the mercy of Allah. The one who created you, would not leave you without guidance. The one who gave you the air that you breathe, the sun that you look up to, the environment, this nature that you have, the one who perfected your creation, wouldn't just leave you without telling you how to live your life. So Allah is saying, when you deny prophethood, when you say, oh, there is a God, and by the way, there is still, there are a lot of people in the world, they're called deists, they believe in a God, but they don't believe in religion. And Allah is saying that is nonsensical, it doesn't make any sense. And to deny prophecy, 
to deny that there are human beings whom Allah has chosen and sent as prophets, you are denying the mercy, the compassion, the wisdom of Allah. And that is what Allah is saying. When they denied the Prophet they said God doesn't send prophets. Because remember, the Quraysh were not Jews and Christians. The Quraysh did not believe in prophets. They didn't believe in the concept of a Nabi. So Allah is saying, when you deny prophethood, you are in fact negating the high majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is an insult to Allah. Why would Allah create you and then not guide you? The one who has created knows what is best. So Allah is saying that when they deny prophethood, they negate me, they negate my majesty. And Allah Azza affirms in verse number 19, He is the one that has sent this Quran uh, down to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In verse 114, Allah says that it is He is the one who has revealed the book, explained it in detail. In verse 38, ma min We have left nothing out of the Quran. The Quran is all encompassing. Everything we need is in the Quran. So the Prophet is a Prophet. The Quran is the book of Allah, yet the Prophet doesn't become superhuman. Verse 50, very beautiful verse. Say to them, Ya Rasulullah, Qul, say to them, I am not saying that I control the treasures of Allah. I am not saying that I know the future. I'm not saying that I'm superhuman, that I'm an angel. I'm just a human being, I'm a mortal. So the maqam or the status of the Prophet Sallallahu he is being told to say in the Quran very clearly, he is saying, I don't know the unseen. I don't know the future. I'm not superhuman, I'm not an angel. I am just a Bashir and a Nadir. I am a warner and a giver of glad tidings. If you obey Allah, I'm here to give you good, good news. And if you disobey Allah, then I am a warner unto you. And the surah as well linked to the concept of uh, prophethood, linked to the concept of risala. There is also a sub motif underneath this before we move on to judgment day. There's also a sub motif in the entire surah. And that is that the Prophet Sallallahu he himself felt psychologically troubled and pained at having been rejected. He was hurt that his people rejected him, accused him of all types of things. And so there are so many verses in Surah Al-An'am that console the Prophet And what a beautiful genre of verses these are. Allah himself is calming the Prophet ﷺ down. This shows us many things. So for, for example, verse number 33, We know that what they say hurts you. We know it, Ya Rasulullah, that what they say, it hurts you. It is not you that they are rejecting, but it is Allah's revelation that they are rejecting. Verse number 34, Ya Rasulullah, you are not the first prophet. Prophets before you came, they too were rejected. They too were mocked, but they persevered. They endured that rejection and they waited until Allah's help came to them. And la kalimatillah, these laws can never be changed. No prophet was successful instantaneously. No prophet just walked in and lo and behold, all of his, uh, his village and tribe just embraced Islam. La kalimatillah, you have to put in the effort. You have to face persecution. You have to feel a little bit of pain and suffering. Put your trust in Allah and then Allah will indeed give you all that uh, He has promised you. And Allah says in this surah as well, وَلَقَدْ جَاءَكَ مِنْ نَبَأِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ don't you know the stories of the previous prophets? I have told you, Ya Rasulullah, you have been revealed, it has been revealed to you what has occurred in the previous prophets. Now, this entire genre, again, so much can be said of them is that those who walk in the footsteps of the prophets, 
they will face a portion of the same persecution, sometimes from their own people and sometimes from outside. People will mock them, people will ridicule them, people will criticize them. Whoever walks in the footsteps of the prophets will face a portion of their persecution as well. And so they need to really take the prophets as role models and understand it is a huge responsibility of them. And this is very, very powerful. Being a prophet, doesn't mean that just because people mock you, make fun of you, you are immune. Allah is saying, We know that your heart is in anguish because of what they say. You know, when we were children, we would say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words never hurt me. Fact of the matter is that's not true. Words can hurt. Words can sometimes be worse than a physical, some physical pain. And this is something that Allah is saying in the Quran, that what they say, you know when they accused him with those vulgarities, you're crazy, you're a madman, you're a lunatic, you're possessed, you're a liar, and he never uttered a lie in his life, in his entire life. And then they accused him of lying about Allah, you know, an honorable person, and only those who, you know, 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 an honorable person. When he's accused of these types of things, it really hurts that you are sincere, you're doing your best and then somebody comes and twists it around and says something very, very heinous and evil. It really hurts. And Allah is saying, we know it hurts Ya Rasulullah. Therefore, look at this, when somebody's in pain, Allah is teaching us, we validate the pain. We don't dismiss it, we validate the pain. We know, I know it's difficult, it's, it must be a difficult time. Then you give words of encouragement. Then you try to move on, give them, inshallah it'll be better. So Allah is telling the Prophet look, I know it hurts you, but before you the prophets have come, they too had to face what they faced. So another thing is that you link people in pain, you link them with, look, you know what, it's happened before, there are other people as well, and that's why a lot of times, you know, when you go to therapy or counseling, you get linked together in these types of thing. And here, Allah is telling to the, the Prophet you're not alone. There were prophets that came before you. They too were tortured, they too had to face persecution. So you're in a very good group over here. You're not alone, the group of the uh, prophets. And so all of this shows us that a part of our uh, sunnah as well, that when people are in pain, we comfort them with words. If Allah can comfort our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi with words, and he needed to hear that, SubhanAllah, well then me and you, we are also in need of being comforted as well. So all of this is about the issue of um, uh, prophethood and the issue of risala. And I went into a tangent about uh, the psychology of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And before we move on to judgment, another tangent, this is intentional by the way guys, I'm being very good about trying to keep tangents inshallah to the minimal, uh, time is always limited. So uh, another tangent still related to the issue of prophets, uh, is the issue of the miracles of the prophets. And this is also a common theme throughout Surah Al-An'am. And that is the issue of miracles. Why doesn't Allah send more miracles? And this is again very clear in verse number 35. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes to us the eagerness of the Prophet to obtain miracles. He wanted a miracle. He wanted to show something to them. And Allah says, if you could climb up to the heavens, if you could get a stair and ladder and just go all the way up and grab a miracle, you would do it. In verse number 37, Allah speaks of the Quraysh. They taunt the Prophet that why doesn't he come with a sign? Show us a sign. And Allah says, Allah can indeed send a sign down, but you don't know because we learn from other surahs that 
that when the sign comes, when a miracle of that nature comes, you either believe or else you are destroyed. Allah does not play games. Allah, as Allah, this is in the Quran as well, that there is nothing that is batil, there's nothing that is jestful with Allah. Yani when Allah will send a miracle, Either you believe or that is it. And we see this in the people of Salih and the people of Thamud and the previous nations as well. Then Allah also tells us another reality of why He does not send miracles down in Surah Al-An'am. Verse number 7, or Hafiz Sab recited it. Verse number 7, that had we sent down to you a book that they could see from the heavens on paper, Qirtas, scrolls, paper, on paper, and they touched it with their own hands, they would have still said, this is magic, we don't believe. And verse number eight, they challenge, they say, why doesn't an angel come? Allah says, if we sent an angel, the matter would be settled, meaning, either you believe or all of you will be destroyed. You're not gonna be given a second chance. When that type of miracle comes, they were the, the people of Salih, they wanted that miracle. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent them that miracle from the rock, who created uh, a, a, a large camel. That type of miracle, if it comes, you do not get a second chance. So Allah is saying, if I sent that, that angel down, you would not get a second chance. And our Prophet was offered that later on in Mecca, as our books of Sirah mentioned, that the angel Jibreel said, if you want, I can give you something like this. And then they will not be given a second chance. And the Prophet then said, no, in that case, let them continue persecuting me. Perhaps they will accept Islam. And they did indeed accept Islam at the conquest of Mecca. In verse number nine, Allah says, but you know, even if we sent an angel down, he would have looked like you. You human beings cannot see the angels in their angelic form. You cannot even notice them. So they would have been transformed into be a human. And then you would have doubted and debated, well, this isn't an angel. It's not this, it's not that. And therefore it wouldn't do the job. And in verse number one, 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 eleven. Allah says, even if we had sent the angels down, even if we had resurrected the dead from the graves and they spoke to them, even if we gathered together all the animals and plants and jinn and ins and they shouted to them to believe in Allah, they would still not believe. In other words, deaf, dumb, and blind. Once you get to that level, nothing is going to benefit you. And you know, let's be real here. Those who deny the existence of Allah, existence of a God, those who are hardcore atheists, what more miracle do you want than the miracle of life? He who is blind to the miracles that are already present around him shall be blind to the miracles that shall come upon demand. It's as simple as that. And Allah Azza wa Jal does not play games that you demand a miracle, you snap your finger and something like this is gonna happen. Allah has given you enough miracles, the miracle of life, the miracle of a hundred things mentioned in Surah Al-An'am, the miracle of the creation and the stars and sleep and the resurrection, everything around us. If that's not enough for you, there is no point sending anything else. And Allah also says, if I were to send such a miracle, then once you reject, you will get the punishment. And of course, the miracle of the Quran is also mentioned a number of times in the Quran itself. So this is the point number two, and we went into a number of intentional tangents. Point number three, uh, the day of judgment is also a very, very uh, important motif of Surah Al-An'am. And of course, lots of verses. Verse number 12, he shall gather you without any doubt on the day of judgment. Verse number 31, 
that they have lost everything, those who deny that they're going to meet Allah. They've lost everything. They haven't done anything of value. Everything they've done is going to go to waste. That when the day of judgment comes, they are going to rep reprimand themselves and they will say, Ya hasratana, woe to us, alas to us, how we have neglected this. And they're going to bury, they're going to carry their burdens on their own uh, backs. Verse number 94, Allah describes, وَلَقَدْ جِئْتُمُونَا furada." You're going to come to us one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to come back to us one-on-one, -on -one, just like we created you the very first time where you were nothing, you knew no one, and we created you one by one. Now you're going to come back to us one by one, and you will leave everything behind you that you had in this world. Everything that we gave you, your wealth, your entourage, your power, your possessions, all that you would take pride in, you have nothing. As the hadith says, naked, barefoot, and uncircumcised, you will stand in front of Allah. Nothing to show except for your deeds. And Allah says, where are your intercessors? Where are these other gods that you worship, that you falsely claimed were there? What a powerful verse. Every single bond that you had has now been severed. You have nothing and no one except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all that you claimed was true has been proven to be false. In verse 130, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask, Ya ma'ashar al-jinni wal-ins, O assemblies of jinn and humans, didn't I send prophets amongst you? Didn't they tell you of revelations? Didn't they warn you about the meeting of the Day of Judgment? And on that day, Allah says, they will have to testify against themselves. The life of this world seduced them. What a powerful phrase over here. The life of this world, the luxury of this world, the beauty of this world, it was a temporary illusion. And it made them neglect that they're going to die. Death is a reality. No talks about we just it's awkward conversation and in the meantime we enjoy this world but the wise person understands this world for how long will it last do not be deceived Allah says don't be deceived don't be lulled by the illusion of this world think of the next world and so Allah reminds us of this again in Surah Al-An'am so these are the three main pillars as we said Tawheed Risala and uh, Akhirah uh, Surah Al-An'am also has one uh, very interesting story in it. And that is the story of the Prophet Ibrahim salam arguing with his uh, people about the oneness of Allah. And the famous story that he saw the sun, he saw the, uh, the stars, and then it disappeared, he saw the moon, and then it disappeared, he saw the sun, and it disappeared. And then he said, I'm not going to worship any of these things, I will worship uh, the creator of all of this. And... Uh, in verse number 79, Allah, uh, Ibrahim says that, Inni I will turn my face and turn my direction to the one who created and originated the heavens and earth. I am a monotheist and I'm not of those who worship others besides Allah. Now one important point as you read the story, realize Ibrahim salam was not searching for God. This is a big misunderstanding that takes place. Ibrahim already believed in Allah. Ibrahim was never a polytheist. He was never an agnostic or atheist. Ibrahim, even as a young child, knew that Allah was his Lord and that idolatry was false. This entire conversation is a debate. It is not a searching for the truth. Ibrahim is arguing. Ibrahim is using this language to argue the truth with the people around him and not searching himself. No, the point is to have an argumentation with the other people uh, around him. And then after the story of Ibrahim, 
from verse uh, 81 uh, onwards, uh, there are uh, a long list of prophets, in fact, the longest list in the entire Quran, 18 prophets are mentioned by name. Please open the Quran and read them. And there is one particular prophet who is only mentioned twice in the Quran and he is mentioned once over here as well. Uh, and we have no details about him whatsoever. Nothing, zilch, except for one name. And it is over here and it is in one other place. If you figure that out, then tweet it as fast as you can and let us see who is able to do that. But uh, this is uh, 18 prophets' names in the entire Quran. There's no section that has more prophets' names uh, than uh, this one. And there's one other section that is close to this one, we'll get to it when we uh, get to it. And Allah says, these are the prophets, the chosen ones. Uh, and then Allah says, and their progeny, which then includes hundreds of other prophets because of their progeny is of course all the other um, prophets. There's one, a number of uh, you know, verses that I always like to spend some time on. And uh, one of the issues that I'm gonna spend some time on in Surah Al-An'am is verse 52. And this will introduce us to another concept that I want everybody to be aware of. There is a chapter in the science of interpreting the Quran called the science of knowing the reason why the verses were revealed. In Arabic, sabab an-nuzul or asbab an-nuzul is the parole. Why was the verse revealed? And this is a branch of knowledge that is essential to fully understand the Quran. And if you don't have this knowledge, your understanding of the Quran will be partial and in fact may be even misunderstanding if you don't understand why it came down. And verse number 52 is a classic example of this with a beautiful, beautiful story of revelation that is found in almost every book of tafsir and book of hadith. And verse number 52, if you didn't have the knowledge of the reason of revelation, you wouldn't understand at all or very vaguely what this verse is talking about. Open up the Quran and do not drive away those who call upon their Lord morning and evening, seeking Allah attention. You are not accountable for them in any way, nor are they accountable for you in any way. If you drive them away, then you will be from those who are unjust. Now, okay, you get a vague idea that don't drive away people who are calling upon Allah, but what is the whole implication? The story goes as follows, and it is mentioned in Ibn Ishaq in many of the classical books of, of our, our, our um, history, that a group of senior delegations of the Quraysh, some of the most famous prestigious members of the non-Muslims of Mecca, they approached the uncle of the Prophet and they said, you know, we are willing to think about embracing Islam. It's, it's not, the, I mean, these are not Abu Jahl types. These are some of the people that were more open-minded, a little bit in the middle. They're like, you know, we don't really have a major problem with much of what he's saying, but there is one issue that we are not comfortable with. And if your nephew, the Prophet can compromise on that issue, we might be willing to embrace the faith. Abu Talib was very happy. What is that issue? So they said, he, the Prophet associates with the low class in the same gatherings as our elites. And he sits with the non-Arabs on the same sofa, on the same gathering as with the Arabs. And he associates with the African slaves because Bilal was the Habashi. They said the Habashi, the Ahbash. And he sits with them. And if you can tell your nephew that when we come to his gathering, they should get rid of the low class and we should have our, our honorable class only, then we might be willing to embrace the faith. Abu Talib was so ecstatic. He rushed to the Prophet and he said, oh my nephew, this is an amazing, I mean, this is a compromise. Come on, how can you turn it down? And the Prophet 
listen to it. He spoke to some of the Sahaba and some of them were very enthusiastic. One of them said, Ya Rasulullah, Bilal will understand, no big deal. You know, he's one of us. I mean, he understands. We're going to gain these big shots. We're going to gain, you know, the elite of the Quraysh, the creme de la creme. I mean, these people, I mean, you know, okay, tomorrow we'll give them a gift and don't worry about it. And perhaps some people were interested in taking up this option. Then Allah revealed Surah Al-An'am verse 52. Look at how knowing the Sabab al-Nuzul completely changes the appreciation of the verse. Allah says in unequivocal language, do not drive away the righteous who are worshiping Allah morning and evening. They want Allah's pleasure. Do not drive them away. And why would you do that? Because you want to get the other people in, you're not responsible for them. You're not responsible if they're not willing to lower their ego, if they're not willing to sit with the rest of humanity, if they're not willing to compromise on their arrogance and their racism and their bigotry, you're not responsible for them, Ya Rasulullah, nor are they responsible for you. Then our Prophet is told in the singular, فَتَطْرُدَهُمْ If you dare drive away these righteous Muslims, then you you shall be one of those who are unjust. Subhanallah, how this knowledge changes our entire perception. And wallahi, this is, I mean, what more proof do you want that Islam is from Allah? He is being given on a silver platter that these great ministers will embrace Islam, but you have to compromise on your principles. If, a'udhu billah, a false prophet were to have been given this, he would have jumped for joy. Who cares about the freed slaves? Who cares about the other people that are not that powerful, not that rich, but see it is a matter of principle. It's a matter of Islamic principle and we do not compromise. We don't care about quantity. We want quality. And if somebody's ego is that big that he doesn't want to sit with Bilal ibn Abi Rabah, well then we don't want that person. We want Bilal and we want Ibn Mas'ud who was a servant and we want Suhaib who was a Rumi from Rome. We want those who are righteous and we don't care about those arrogant even with their wealth because Allah is not going to bless us if we have the likes of those people. So this verse, knowing the Sabab and nuzul it completely changes your paradigm and you understand why those early Muslims were the way that they were, because they had quality, not quantity. These days, mashallah, we have plenty of quantity. We are over a billion. Mashallah, we have wealth. Mashallah, we have plenty, but we don't have what those early Muslims had. And that is that sincerity. That is that appreciation and knowledge of the worth of Bilal. And when this verse came down, our Prophet shut that door and he went up and sat down with Bilal and others and he said, my Lord has commanded me to be with you. My Lord has commanded me to be with you. And so he sat with them physically, just in case shaitan might have made some of them feel something that he came and sat down and goes, don't worry, we are one against those people who want to differentiate between us. So this uh, is the genre of Asbab al-Nuzul and in Surah Al-An'am I gave you one example um, of that. Another uh, very um, powerful motif in this uh, surah, and it is really some of the most powerful verses in the entire Quran, is the, the appreciation, the thankfulness really that we should have to take Allah as our Lord, to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So many verses in Surah Al-An'am that are just so powerful about the beauty and majesty of Allah, about how we would dare take another God besides Him when He is the true God. In verse number 14, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that, should I take for a protector other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Do you want me to go to somebody other than Allah to protect me? When He is the one who originated the heavens and the earth, and He is 
is the one who feeds everything and does not need to be fed. In verse number 71, Allah says, قُلْ أَنَدْعُ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ Do you want me to invoke besides Allah that thing that can neither benefit us nor harm us? Do you want us to turn back on our heels, to turn our backs after Allah has guided us? Do you want us to walk away after we know the truth? The Quraysh were telling the Muslims to come back to idolatry. And Allah is saying, you want us to turn back from the truth and walk away? قُلْ إِنَّ هُدَى اللَّهِ هُوَ الْهُدَى Verily, the only guidance is the guidance of Allah. And we are commanded to surrender in Islam to the Lord of the worlds. In verse number 73, Allah says, Allah is the one who has created the heavens and the earth in truth. The day he says, Kun, it happens. He only has to say, Be, and it happens. His saying is the truth. And to him belongs the dominion and kingdom when the trumpet is blown. The knower of the secrets and the knower of that which is open. He is the all wise and the all powerful. And again, so many verses about the beauty and the power of trusting in Allah, worshiping Allah, the thankfulness we should have, the, the stupidity really, the foolishness of turning away from Allah. Why would I do that? Why would I neglect and ignore what is the most important thing and that is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is another uh, common motif of surah al-an'am and in my humble opinion it's one of the most powerful surahs in this regard and that's why uh, as I said me personally as well it really cheers me up to read the surah and it really just you feel you feel such a sense of peace being a Muslim as you recite surah al-an'am of course, another common motif of the entire surah, and that's why it's named Surah Al-An'am, the cattle, that uh, despite the fact that this is a Makki surah, and therefore in Makki surahs, there are hardly any laws. I mean, yesterday, the day before yesterday, Surah Al-Nisa, Surah Al-Ma'idah, we had so many laws, right? Surah Al-An'am, there's really nothing. I mean, there's nothing in detail, but there is one set of laws and a number of verses, one theme, and that is, the purity of our food, making sure we eat good food. And by good, I don't mean GMO, non-modified, organic, whatever, you know, open graze, whatever, you know, three omega. No, that's one aspect of good. I'm not saying that's not the ultimate goodness or the ultimate purity. Number one, the purity of our wealth that we purchase that food with. And then number two, the purity of that animal itself. Is it a halal animal and has it been slaughtered properly? So that is something that the Sharia, even in early Mecca was emphasizing. And this is something very important, dear Muslims. And again, let me just be honest here. SubhanAllah, it distresses and hurts me to see so many Muslims, they don't care about what they put into their, into their mouths. They don't care about the food that is literally going to nourish their body, their flesh, their blood. They don't care about its purity. And from early Mecca in Surah Al-An'am, the Muslims are being told to be careful of what you put into your mouth because it does have an impact on you. What makes your body grow physically will impact you spiritually. To take care of what you ingest physically will also mean you will take care of what you ingest spiritually as well. So in verse 141, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to give the zakat from the harvest. In other words, one of the categories of zakat 
is zakat for the farmers when they get when they uh, uh, harvest their crops they give zakat on the crops so this purifies our wealth our wealth must be pure when we purchase something and the next verse is 143 to 145 long list of the animals that are allowed and not allowed and also uh, some of these verses are a little bit confusing I understand in English but just understand that what is being referenced are superstitious practices that the Jahili or the pre-Islamic pagan Arabs had invented. And Allah criticizes and refutes all of these practices that Allah did not forbid those types of animals. The animals that you think, uh, uh, they had some very bizarre notions of superstition and Allah uh, abrogates all of that and Allah makes it all halal. And then Allah Azza wa Jal in verses 118 to 121. And again, read these verses. I'm simply quoting you the numbers so that you can go and read them. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions that we should eat only those animals that are pure and only those animals over which Allah's name has been mentioned at the time of slaughter. That if Allah's name has been mentioned and Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُوا مِمَّا لَمْ يُذْكَرِ اسْمُ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَإِنَّهُ لَفِسْقِ This is the most explicit verse in the entire Quran. In Surah Al-An'am, do not eat the meat over which Allah's name has not been mentioned. For indeed, that is a sin. So any animal that is slaughtered, and of course this is the majority opinion, and there is a dissenting voice in the madhabs, and that's a, a longer discussion. But uh, the position I follow, and in, in my humble opinion, is very clear as well from the Quran, and this is the majority opinion. Any animal, for it to be permissible, uh, you must mention the name of Allah, or a Jewish and Christian person must mention the name of God, or in whatever language, but the, the God of Abraham, must be mentioned and his blessings be sought and then the animal slaughtered in a proper manner and then the animal becomes permissible for us and that is why uh, this surah is one of the evidences as well that uh, not only must the animal be a pure animal you cannot do that to a pig but the method of slaughter must also be uh, pure and halal and according to the sharia so then and, and the, the money that we use to purchase must be halal and so all of this makes it a pure animal for us to eat and again all of this, it shows us the importance and the emphasis of physical purity, of the purity of what we ingest, and that is going to help us uh, spiritually as well. Before we wrap up for today, uh, three verses that I thought were especially, again, relevant. And again, this is subjective. Dear brothers and sisters, I have 45 minutes. I have to just choose bits and pieces. I do understand uh, some people um, don't like this style. And there, as I said, there's not much that can be done. I'm trying to summarize the entire surah and then move on to the next one, one around a juz a day. So this means I have to be pick and picky and choosy in this regard. So in this surah as well, Makki surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in three separate verses, He bans the evil, vicious practice of killing your own children. How filthy of a practice. When people were poor, especially when girls were born to them, they would bury them alive. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bans it explicitly. One of the earliest prohibitions in the Quran and Surah Al-An'am is in this regard. Verse 140 is especially powerful. قَدْ خَسِرَ الَّذِينَ قَتَلُوا أَوْلَادَهُمْ سَفَهَمْ بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ Lost are those who have killed their own children foolishly without any knowledge. And they have forbidden for them what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided. And they 
lie against Allah thinking that this is permissible. They have gone astray and they are not guided. Every single phrase in this verse is screaming accusations at those people who were entrusted with an innocent child. And instead of taking care of that child, they go and they kill that child. Lost are they, misguided are they, foolish are they. They have no knowledge. They are ضلوا, uh, uh, they have gone astray and they are not rightly guided. So this surah is very explicit in this uh, regard and especially the female infanticide, which is so sad it is still happening in some portions in the world. And it's such a sad, sad reality that we really should strive against. And this is something that early Islam came with, that Muslims should be role models in this regard and speak out against these evil uh, practices. Uh, verse 108 is also very interesting. And that is that the whole surah is a critique of idolatry, right? What does verse 108 say? Do not curse the gods that they worship besides Allah, because then they will curse Allah back, just out of ignorance and out of anger. So this really tells us as Muslims the difference between academic debates versus vulgar and crude insults. It is completely permissible to argue and debate in a good manner with people of other faiths and other civilizations. Completely permissible to take on theological challenges and deconstruct them. That is, we are required to do that. But Allah is saying, don't resort to vulgarities. Don't resort to curses. Don't resort to just smearing and saying nasty things for the sake of nasty things. And subhanAllah, this shows us even icons of shirk which we don't agree with at all. Even icons of shirk, we don't curse them. We don't say vulgarities that are just meant to entice and anger. That's not gonna work. Take on the challenge academically. Explain to them in a holistic manner. In a matter, the goal is not to insult. The goal is to bring the point across so that the person sees the truth. That's not gonna happen when you throw and hurl insults at the person or at what he considers to be uh, sacred. And before we conclude with the last passage, verse 116 as well. Verse 116, I particularly find this verse especially relevant in the world and society that we live in. And again, it is self-explanatory. If you were to follow the majority of people on earth, they would lead you astray from the path of Allah. I don't need to comment more about that. If you were to follow the majority of mankind, they wouldn't guide you. Majority vote does not make guidance. Majority vote might be how a political system runs, okay, but it doesn't make it ethical or moral. If you were to follow the majority of people on earth, they would lead you astray from the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And now we come to our concluding passage, verse 151 I'm going to begin with. Verse 151, it is called, uh, in some of our classical books, it is called the Ten Commandments of Islam. And it's a beautiful verse, and I want you to read it in the Arabic, it's also very powerful. Say, come, let me tell you what your Lord has forbidden upon you, that you associate nothing with him, that you honor your parents, that you do not kill your children because of poverty, we shall provide for you and for them, that you do not come near indecencies, fahisha, whether outwardly or in secret, that you do not kill the soul, commit murder that Allah has not allowed you to do, except in the course of justice. And all of this he has enjoined upon you so that you may understand that you do not come near the property of the orphan except with the best intentions until he reaches maturity. And that you give full weight and full measure equitably. Don't be dishonest, be fair and just. We do not burden any soul beyond its capacity. And when you speak, be 
be fair, even if it concerns a close relative. Whatever you speak, speak the truth. Fulfill your covenants with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any covenant you have for the sake of Allah, fulfill it. All of this He has enjoined upon you. So pay heed and take attention. And this is my straight path. So follow it and do not follow the other paths, lest they divert you from His path. All of this He has enjoined upon you that you may refrain from wrongdoing. Beautiful passage, the 10 Muslim or Islamic commandments, read them in the Quran. And then the surah concludes by reminding us of the day of judgment, warning us against false ideologies. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, verse 160, whoever comes with a good deed, I shall reward him 10 times its amount. And whoever comes with an evil deed will be given only that one evil equivalent and they will not be shown any wrong. The stakes are in our favor. How can we possibly fail? For every good we do, Allah will give us 10 times much more than this. And yet still people are gonna fail. For every good we get 10 times. And for every evil, only that one evil will be given. Say, my Lord has guided me to a straight path. My Lord has guided me to the straight path the creed of Ibrahim, the Hanif, the monotheist, he was not from the polytheists. Say, قُلْ إِنَّ صَلَاتِي وَنُسُكِي وَمَحْيَايَ وَمَمَاتِي لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ Say, my prayer, my rituals, my life, my death, all of it is for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Lord of the worlds. لا شريك له. There is none that I associate with him. This is what I have been commanded with. And I am the first of those who will submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Say, do you want me to seek a Rabb other than Allah? Are you that foolish? You want me to seek a Rabb other than Allah when he is the Rabb of everything? And know that no soul shall get except what it is due. And no soul shall bear the burdens of any other soul. Every one of you and me, every one of us, we are accountable for what we have done. Then you shall return to your Lord and He will inform you regarding all that you have done. It is Allah who has made you successors before previous generations. Now it is your turn and then it will be other people's turns. Every one of us, we have one life to live. So it is Allah who has made you successors on this earth and He has raised some of you above others in ranks. Some of you have more wealth than others. Some of you have more power than others. Some of you have more knowledge than others. Some of you have more fame than others. Every one of you has something that others do not have. Every one of you has certain talents, certain strengths that others do not have. And through this, every one of you is being tested. The, the test is the same, but the mechanisms of the test are different. All of us are being tested and the test is equal, but some are being tested via poverty. Some are being tested by richness. Some are being tested via being healthy. Some are being tested via being sick. Every single one of us is being tested. The potential to pass the test is the same. The exam is being given to all, but what we have to answer is different. And that's what Allah is saying. I have given some of you things I haven't given others. Every one of us has something somebody else has not been given. And so even the richest person needs to go to somebody to do other things. And the poorest person needs to go. Every one of us is linked together. He is testing you in all that he has given you. Know that your Lord is swift in retribution and know as well that your Lord is forgiving and merciful. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to pass our tests with flying colors. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive all of our sins, to be merciful for all of our shortcomings. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
testifying that we believe that He is our Lord, testifying that we believe that He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. We ask Allah because of that testimony that He forgives our sins, that He overlooks our faults, that He exalts our ranks, and that He resurrects us with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And with that, inshaAllah Ta'ala, I will see you all tomorrow. Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. شهر رمضان الذي أنزل فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصم ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون 